Welcome to the Portage County Safety Council podcast. We hope you enjoy today's featured message. Welcome to the Portage County Safety Council. My name is Nick Koya, and I am excited to have each and every one of our listeners here today as we talk about the Northeast Ohio Safety Expo. We've had the opportunity to gather together some of the best speakers from Northeast Ohio to talk to them about their presentations that are going to happen at the Expo. This is a great opportunity for you to learn about safety and health. The Expo is taking place on October 20th, 2022, and I hope to see each and every one of you at the Expo. Now, with that said, we've selected some speakers based on their expertise, their knowledge, and their presentation skills. And I am more than excited to uh, welcome to, to the table today, Brian Zacchetti from the Ohio BWC. Brian, how are you, sir? I'm great today, Nick. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, Brian, we've worked together for over uh, eight years now. I've been with the Bureau. You were here before me. Just an amazing consultant that has so much knowledge, and I always get excited about your presentations. So I'm really excited to have you here at the podcast today. But for our listeners, tell them a little bit about yourself. What's your background? Uh, how'd you get in the safe? I'm glad you asked, Nick. So I'm originally from Western Pennsylvania. Don't hold that against me. And one of the schools in that area that uh, has a great major for, for occupational safety and health is the Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Happens to be about 40 minutes from my hometown. And so as I look for something uh, to take up in college, obviously there were people in my hometown that took that major and told me about their experiences at IUP. And it kind of led me to that career. Just kind of proximity to the, to the school and knowing people that were in it. A lot of science I had to take, which was interesting to me. And then the opportunity to help people too. You know, so just, just, just a, a, a all around good experience that I had there and kind of led me into this career. You know, as we get into safety, it's not always something that we all want to jump into. There's all these different avenues. And it seems like most of us as safety people wander into it by some happenstance, right? You, because of where you grew up, I started off in security, wanting you to get into law enforcement, ended up in this. But it's just such an amazing world with so many things and so many impacts we can have on people. And, you know, lockout tagout is your subject. And I think it's so important that we talk about this because there's so many people injured every year because they fail to do something as simple as locking out and tagging out a machine before they work on it. I'm glad you said that, Nick, because, you know, one of the things that we get here at the, at the BWC is a list of how people hurt themselves every day. We get an email from our supervisor. And we sit there and we read through those accidents, reading the accident descriptions, trying to understand how occupational injuries occur. And I'm not kidding you, almost at least once or twice a week, there's an incident on there that's lockout, tagout related that has serious consequences. And it's hard to impress upon people just how important it is to, to follow the practices and principles laid out in 147, which is a standard for lockout, tagout, every single time you're working on equipment. Not 95 out of 100, not 99 out of 100 every time they work on equipment because it only takes that one time and, and serious consequences can occur. We see so many different types of injuries transpire from this. And sometimes it's the minor thing, but there's also those major injuries. And I know that as you and I were talking, you say you see these happening up in the Mahoning Valley area where you're at, some of those cases. Can you share with us one of those stories that you're going to be talking about? Yeah, you, you don't really have to get far outside of my zip code to find people and companies and families that have been impacted by lockout tagout. One of the first catastrophic accidents that I had to investigate was in the Niles area at a tubing mill. 
where a guy was doing some maintenance on the payoff end of a coil slitter and he didn't have it locked out and he got his arm ripped out of his socket. And I know that's a little bit graphic to talk about for people, Nick, but the kid was only 22 years old. He had two kids and, you know, here, lo and behold, he's going to have to spend the rest of his life with no arm. The sad part about it, Nick, was it was extremely preventable. Had he just been following established rules concerning de-energizing equipment, locking it out when he was doing the servicing work, he would still have that arm today. And so, you know, when you see things like that happen, it really hits home. It really, you know, hits you in the heart. And then, you know, when you're out consulting with employers, it's it's really something you want to try to drive home to them. You know, and sometimes I think it's, you know, people just don't know what they don't know. You have some of these young workers, like in this case, he may be new to the industry, just wasn't really taught about it. But then there's the other side of the coin where people assume that they know what they know and, and they really don't understand the law. And here's what I mean by that. So often people violate or misuse the minor servicing and exemption clause. They use that as their get out of jail free. Well, I don't have to lock out because I'm only doing minor servicing. And I know that's part of your presentation. So can you hit on that just a little bit today? Yeah, boy, that's that's a that's a really good point to bring up, Nick. A little bit of history about the standard, and then we'll kind of lead into that. You know, a lot of people think that lockout tagout was was some law that was created down in Washington, D.C. by people that don't know what kind of work they do. And really, I couldn't be further from the truth. The practices and principles surrounding lockout tagout were actually formed in the early six, 60s by unions. And they were formed by unions because they were tired of seeing their workers get injured. So these premises that we're going to talk about were formed by workers for workers. And one of the things that happened when the lockout tagout standard was promulgated in 1990 was, was the UAW grabbed a hold of it and started analyzing it for weaknesses. Areas where they maybe thought the standard could have been a little bit stronger. And one of the things that they said was, was that this, this verbiage in the standard, which is the called the minor servicing exemption, wasn't clear enough. It wasn't spelled out enough. It left people loopholes that they could possibly jump through to kind of not lock machines out when they were doing routine tasks that still exposed people to hazardous energy. And so I see it all the time, Nick, where people say, oh, you know, um, what I'm doing is routine. It's minor. I don't need to lock out. When in fact, they couldn't, that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, the practices of lockout tagout themselves are pretty simple. We're going to do work on a piece of equipment. We want to bring that equipment to a zero energy state and lock it that way until we're done. Right. It's knowing when you have to lock out that sometimes be, can become tricky. And, you know, a lot of people for convenience sake can try to bend those rules surrounding that minor servicing exemption, Nick. And so one of the things that we'll talk about on October 20th is putting some framework around that paragraph. It's the exemption. I believe it's the paragraph B2II of the standard, otherwise known as the minor servicing exemption. We'll put some framework around the three primary principles that you have to kind of go through and prove to use that exemption. And so uh, that's one of the things that we'll spend a lot of time on is talking about when do I lock out? When don't I have to lock out? And if we're going to use that minor servicing exemption, making sure we're using it in a safe manner. No, I was just working a case yesterday, Brian, and it was a metal shop. They have a metal lathe. And the case was the person had a fingertip amputation because 
convenient lockout tagout. And his the worker said, listen, I was only doing minor servicing. They were setting the blocks at the bottom of the lathe so that it would only transverse so far. And as he was doing that, he turned his body and he hit the drive gear with his rear end and drove the, the lathe forward with his finger in there. And, he, and, and his argument was, well, it's only minor servicing. I was just setting the blocks. No, you had this active machine and, and this was the end result. So I agree that all too often people don't understand what, what the principles behind that is and how to really apply it to keep workers safe. Boy, and that, that's, a, that's a fine example that you, you, you brought up there, Nick, because you know a lot of people think lockout, tagout, you're just protecting yourself from other people operating the equipment. And there, lo and behold, is a situation where the person performing the maintenance himself actually caused the machine to start on accident. And so you're not only protecting yourself from others starting the equipment, you're protecting yourself from starting the equipment. One of the things that I like is, is really getting into the standards, reading the standards and understanding them, which, you know, maybe make me a little weird, but that's what makes us good at our jobs. The standards can be complicated if you don't understand how to read them. And there's just so much information in there. And even the lockout tagout standard. And I think you cover part of that as a presentation, right? Just looking at some of the major highlights and pe helping people understand what's actually in the lockout tagout standard. A lot of understanding what to do and how to implement this at your facility is understanding what's in the law and then applying it to your operation. And so a lot of the presentation is going to center around, you know, what are those major bullet points in 1910-147? How do they apply to most employers? And then we'll go to, into some practical uh, discussion on, you know, how are we going to implement this? How do we train our people on it? What kind of requirements does the equipment have to meet? And we'll, we'll kind of sift through all those little nuances that are in 1910-147 to try to give them a good take home of how to implement these things back at their facilities. A lot of people think, wow, you know, OSHA standards, they can be intimidating, they can be cumbersome, but they really are bare minimum safety standards. And, and I know, you know, I know that you know that uh, being in the field. But even though they're a little bit complicated and sometimes can be confusing and intimidating, I'm, I'm going to try to break down what the major requirements are in this session and give people a good take home of how they can make sure they're complying with these laws uh, at their facilities. In my opinion, this session is good for the mom and pop shops all the way up to the Fortune 500 companies. Lockout tagout is an integral part of everybody's business and you need to understand it. So I encourage people to stop out and uh, check out what Brian has going on at this presentation on October the 20th. Brian, as we get ready to wrap up our session today, what's one thing, one thing that you would tell people to do between now and then with lockout tagout and the facility to keep people safe? I'm glad you asked that, Nick, because there's actually a lot that they could be doing between now and then. But the one thing that I am going to implore everybody to do is to look at what your machine operators are doing. Look at what those people are doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Normally, when I see lockout, tagout accidents that are really, really unexpected and kind of off the grid of normal, it's not what maintenance folks are doing. Maintenance folks know that they're taking machinery apart. They know that they're doing, uh, you know, servicing work and that they have to be locking out. It's usually when I see something really tragic or really unexpected happening, it's one of your machine operators performing what would be considered service or maintenancing under 147, and they're not locking out, they're bypassing guards, they're putting their hands in the point of operation, 
They're getting into those danger zones, Nick, with those machines that are still energized and they're putting themselves at great risk. So that, that's what I would say. You know, get out on that floor, look at what your operators are doing, talk to your people about how they're interfacing with their machines. And if they're bypassing guards and getting their hands into the point of operation, you need to stop them and have some discussions around how what, what you can do to protect them when they're doing that. Brian, that's great information. If our listeners want to get a hold of you, they got some questions, they need some help in that Northeast Ohio part of the state, or they just want to talk to you a little bit more about lockout, tagout, and safety, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Absolutely. I, I would love to, for anybody that has questions on this topic to reach out to me. My phone number is 330-301-1567. That's my cell phone. That's a direct line. I can be reached on that at any time. Or if you want to reach out to me in writing via email, my email address is brian, B-R-I-A-N dot Z dot one at BWC dot state dot O-H dot U-S. And either one of those will be fine for getting a hold of me, Nick. All right, Brian, thank you again for uh, doing this podcast with us today. I look forward to seeing your presentation on October 20th. Uh, to our listeners, we hope you have a great day and be safe out there. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more episodes, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbeam, or Stitcher. To get new episodes sent directly to your phone or smart device, be sure to subscribe.